We are live in the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse at 67 East 11th Street in the landmark cast iron building, Greenwich Village, City of New York. We start tonight as we always do. To those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. To those who have been to the clubhouse before, welcome home. Tonight it is our pleasure to welcome home uh, Ron Kaplan, the author of a brand new book, 501 Baseball Books Fans Must Read Before They Die, published by the University of Nebraska Press. On the spine, it says Kaplan, Nebraska, which I love. It's, a, it's like a, a new, new town. <laughs> a new nickname. So welcome home. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. And uh, I guess just to get us going, and then we're going to have plenty of time for questions, but just to get us going, uh, how, does, how did a project like this come about? Well, I've had a, a blog on baseball books for several years now. Uh, I do an awful lot of reading about baseball. I have a collection that is bordering on 2,000 titles strewn around the house between the attic and the basement and everywhere in between. <laughs> uh, after a while, I was approached by... Uh, a publisher who said, you know, we read your stuff, we like your stuff, would you consider doing a book such as this? We'd like to see a proposal about it. So I came up with a proposal, I sent it in. Uh, shortly afterwards, that publisher was taken over by another company, and the new ownership decided they didn't want the project. So in the meantime, I have a very nice, completed book proposal that I figure well, I might as well do something with it. And uh, I, there are a few publishers who specialize in baseball. The uh, University of Nebraska Press is one of them. McFarland is another. Uh, I enjoy the stuff that University of Nebraska Press does. They're very eclectic things. Not that I don't enjoy McFarland. They're even more eclectic. But uh, University of Nebraska Press was the first one I sent it to. They said it's a good idea. But we think it would be better if you slice it down from 1,001 books to 501 books. So that, that's how that came to uh, be. And how difficult was that? that a lot that easier than 1,001 baseball <laughs> books. Uh, it, it was only difficult in that I was given a choice of publication dates, one for this year and one for next. Uh, if I had been willing to wait till next year, I would have had a lot more time to work on it. But I really wanted to get it out this year. So uh, I pumped it out, and it took me about three hardcore months of, of doing this. Uh, the last couple of days were like literally you know, hallucination generating, no sleep, <laughs> 48 hours straight of, of work. And uh, the, was, there a, uh, was there a particular process or something that you went through to see if a book became one of those 501 or... I, I want to stress that these aren't necessarily the 501 best books. It's a very subjective thing deciding what's, you know, it's like ice cream. You know, some people like vanilla, some people like chocolate. You can't argue that the other person is wrong. Uh, these are books that either I thought were my personal favorite. Uh, there are also a few in here that I don't particularly like, but I think they are important for the various genres. Uh, in the book, the chapters are broken down to categories, for example, uh, autobiography, biography and memoir are lumped into one group, there's pop culture, there's international baseball, 
There's analyses, there's general history, which is broken down further into subcategories. I wanted to get as wide a representation as possible to show that not just for baseball fans, but for fans of any kind of literature, even if you don't like baseball, there's something in baseball that you will enjoy because you like that topic. If you like cooking, you'll find baseball cookbooks. Uh, If you like movies, you will find books about baseball movies, not just as baseball movies, but uh, as representing post-war America. If you like that that era, that genre of film specifically, well, these are the baseball films that fit into that category. If you like Frank Capra movies, these are books that follow his general philosophy of film. Actually, which leads us into a question which I hear a lot and is asked a lot. So just to get your thought on this, what? why does baseball, and I know there's the thing about the smaller the ball, which is in the introduction, but in your opinion, why does baseball bring out such amazing... I don't think anybody would, would sit there and say, well, football, there's, there's more great football books, football writing, than there is baseball writing. I, I, I think there's something unique about baseball... What, what brings that out in, uh, in writing? I, I think part of it is the time factor. <clears throat> because baseball is such a... Uh, I don't know if leisurely is the right word, but it's, it's played over several hours. You, are, you have time to ruminate on what's going on. You have time for conversations in the stands to talk about, gee, you know, I, I came to a game with my dad, with my grandpa, and he told me a story about Babe Ruth, and he's told me a story about Tom Seaver. And... It's a thing that, that I think most people at some point play, so they have a personal experience with it, more so than some of the other sports that are more demanding. Basketball is demanding in one way for, for speed and, and strength and height. Uh, football is, is a, more of a violent sport, which, which engages a certain type of person, and that, that's fine. But, but baseball does encompass so many other things, more so than I think other uh, other sports. And also the people who write it. You, I'm, I'm always fascinated by people who specialize in other areas, who come out with, with such engaging baseball books. Doris Kearns Goodwin right. uh, came out with a marvelous memoir about her love of the Dodgers. Same time next uh, Same time next year? Uh, Wait till next no, year. Yeah, Wait yeah. till next year. Uh, it's a story about her and her father and the relationship they had and her enjoyment of baseball. Thomas Oliphant uh, also wrote a book about the Dodgers. And this is a Pulitzer Prize winning political columnist who, who wrote about baseball. Uh, George Will, say what you will about his politics, has written some excellent books about baseball that you wouldn't expect to come from someone who has you more important things to, to write about. <laughs> Since the book has come out, have you uh, heard either from people thanking you? You don't have to give names, but either thanking you for including them or saying, hey, where the hell am I in this book? You mean authors? Authors, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I got an email last week. I actually, I was at the Strand before I came here, and I found his book there. I almost bought it. Uh, it was a book about baseball during the Civil War. And I don't know this guy. I know... Uh, a fair proportion of the people whose work appears in the books who are still with us and a few who have passed. Uh, I don't know this guy at all. And the problem with an introduction via email is I don't know if this guy's kidding or not. When he says, 
serious oversight <laughs> in, leaving out, in leaving out this flux. I don't know if he's being funny, you know, like right. waking me up, but because I don't know him, uh, there have been uh, one of the things I do, I have a website that's associated with the book. Uh, part of what I do on the blog is I do a podcast of my own with authors and artists and anyone who's uh, got a, a baseball project. Uh, the Baseball Bookshelf, which is the the uh, blog, is about anything that fits on a bookshelf. It's it's about you know it could be about the person who designs these baseballs because that fits on a bookshelf. It could be about a, a newspaper article because you can put a newspaper on it. It could be about a TV show because you can put a TV on a bookshelf if it's small enough. Uh, <laughs> So I've, I've incorporated that with some of the authors whose works appear in this. I uh, just had an interview with the son of Leonard Coppett, who was a, a great uh, writer for the New York Times and other New York newspapers. Uh, he passed away a, a decade ago. But I found his son, who also works in sports, he lives out on the West Coast, to talk about his father's work and what it was like being a sports writer in those days. Uh, and invariably, I hear from... <coughs> people whose work has been out of the spotlight for a long time who are very thankful uh, that, that I mentioned their book because you know they forgot about the book because it, it's so long ago and no one's ever and, and a lot of these are novels uh, and one, one of the things I have the toughest time talking about is fiction because that is very even more subjective than anything else uh, there, there's literary fiction there's popular fiction uh, I don't read a lot of fiction. I, I don't know art, but I know what I like, type thing. And uh, there, was, there was one, Michael Bishop wrote this book called Brittle Innings in uh, the mid-90s, which I think is, is one of the underrated baseball novels of all time. Uh, he won awards, because <clears throat> it's like a fantasy book, and he won awards in that genre, but it's never spoken about in the same terms as some of the other novels that, that are rightfully like the, the, the natural, the celebrate uh, things of that nature and, and they're, they're like, tickled out, thanks for remembering me, that, that's really really nice and I'm hoping in some cases it might generate renewed interest in them, that people will either get the book, at the book, use bookstore if they can or at the library or just read it, it doesn't matter how you read it if you get it on tape, as long as you're exposed to it well, if I can just give a little shout-out and a little commercial break uh, for one of the books that you have in there by a good friend who was supposed to be here tonight, uh, Lee Lowenfish. Lee's book made the cut of 501. It's the Branch Rickey book, which the writer and director of 42 used. He, re he read that book uh, cover to cover and many times, and I know he used that a lot of what was in that book uh, for his research. And uh, so thank you for... In including Lee. And Lee has several other uh, baseball books that, that are also very enjoyable. Uh, he wrote a, a book about the business of baseball, which right. recently was uh, reprinted a, a few years ago. The Imperfect Diamond. The Imperfect Diamond. And he's just uh, very, uh, very well-versed in not just baseball, but in other, other things, too. Yeah, he's absolutely. One, one of those authors who writes about other things, but still is, is a marvelous baseball writer. Definitely. And one of the things I noticed while while going through the book is there are certain chapters that are rather hefty, obviously, uh, with books. Others are a little thinner. And so let's just go to some of the ones that are a little thinner on 
was it very difficult to find books in that area or uh, anything that stands out for you? For example, the ones that seemed a little thinner in numbers, uh, ballparks, uh, international, the minor leagues, and umpires and rules. Right. Uh, I'll start with the last one first. Umpires and rules, I, I again, these are books that interest me. There are, there are a lot of books about rules, but they're rules. <laughs> it's the same rule. What The books I kind of like are the ones that interpret them and say, well, this is the rule as written. It's like the Talmud and the, the Torah. <laughs> this is the law as written, but these are the interpretations. If this happens, what do you do? And, and I find that more philosophically interesting than just a straight recitation of the rules. Right. Likewise, there are some really good books about umpiring, but they, they tend to be the same. Uh, this is what an umpire goes through. The, the umpire has no home games. He's on the road the entire season. Uh, the Best Seat in This House But You Have to Stand is, is a, a book by Lee Gutkin uh, who followed one umpiring crew for the whole season. And these guys are like a little family. And like in any family, you have your points where you're sick of looking at these people because you're with them all the time. But you're stuck with them. I mean, even when you're on the road, you're, you're stuck with them. You're in the same hotel. You're eating at the same restaurant. There's really no getting away. Uh, Bruce Weber uh, did one of these uh, embedded books where he went to umpiring school to learn to be an umpire. And he writes about his experience. And look, he knows he's not going to be an umpire. But he's looking at, at some of these guys and, and what they've given up in their lives to spend this time. If you figure there are, what, 750 major leaguers at yeah. any one time, how many umpires are there at any one time? Like less than 100. Right. Uh, so it's even tougher to be a major league umpire than it is to be a major league player. And, and the sacrifices you have to make both personally and, and family-wise, I think that there's a tremendous divorce rate among major league umpires because they're away, away so long. They've changed the rules so they get a little more off time during the season now and they bring up some umpires from the minor leagues. But So, so that, that's the umpiring. Uh, the, the books about ballparks tended to be uh, photographic love stories. Uh, when Yankee Stadium turned 100, when Fenway Park turned 100, like every other person was coming out with, with a book, but it was basically the same book. You know, lovely pictures of the Green Monster, lovely pictures of the facade around Yankee Stadium. It's all in how you interpret it. Uh, Alex Bleff, or Belf, and I keep mistyping mis the name, right. uh, came out with a book of Yankee Stadium memories in which he interviewed or got contributions from dozens and dozens of people, not all in sports, about their thoughts about Yankee Stadium and what this iconic ballpark meant to them. The same Harvey Fromer uh, does some wonderful baseball books. Uh, nostalgia, I guess, is the genre right, it would right. fall into. He did one about Fenway Park, one about the Yankees, which is essentially, again, mirror images of each other, but one for the Yankees and one, one for the Red Sox. So I, I try to find things that were different in there, and there aren't that many. Right. Uh, there, there's one book in there about the building of Target Field, which starts in the design phase and the impact it will have on the community. And I don't think many people take into consideration what building a new ballpark means for the community. At the outlay, it's the inconvenience of getting around because all the streets are blocked off. Afterwards, it's 
the question of depending on where it's put in the city, how it's going to impact you as people troll through your neighborhood on the way to the ballpark and the effects that has on the ecosystem. Uh, but, but again, the, a lot of those books were the same. Uh, international books, that was a really fascinating topic, but there are a lot of books about Asian baseball, the, both Asian players playing here and ball being played in Japan or China or other Asian rim nations. Uh, surprisingly, there isn't that much uh, except for Latin American baseball and Asian baseball, there's not. Excuse me. Only now are they coming out with baseball in Europe, as the World Baseball Classic takes hold right. and more countries start incorporating it into their national sports systems. Uh, what else was uh, minor leagues? Minor league. I actually got a write-up on MLB.com from. Uh, a gentleman who covers minor league baseball who pointed out these are all the books I missed <laughs> which is fine which is fine uh, minor league baseball is very personal uh, unless you come from that area I don't think you're going to be all that interested in, the, in reading about the Rochester Red Wings unless you're from Rochester uh, other, other so some of the books that are in there are more general in nature right uh, I make no bones again that, that these are the best books, and you know, these these are books that I found. And and had I had more time, maybe I would have you know found more books that I, I did. One of the things I did with the uh, publisher is, is look when you do a book like this, at some point you have to have a cutoff because you have to get it out. There were a few books last year that were really good books that I thought you know maybe I can take something else out and put these in because these are important. Marty Appel's Pinstripe Empire, right. which is the definitive history of the New York Yankees. It hasn't been done in, what do you say, 75 years? Right. Something like that. R.A. Dickey's memoir, because no ball player had ever written about something like that before. And that is having a major impact outside of baseball. And there, there, so there are a couple that I, I, I try to swap out. And I'm getting uh, emails that, gee, why didn't you include this? Why didn't you include that? And my, my answer is that'll be in the sequel. <laughs> 501 more baseball books. <laughs> so the work on that is pretty much done because I already was doing 1,001. Right. So, Perfect. So it's a second team. <laughs> so uh, as my, my wife points out, uh, I did not include Shoeless Joe. <laughs> I did not include the boys of summer, and whether whether that's like a brain fart or some of these books are just so out there that you figure everybody knows about them. There, there are books in here that I guarantee you have never heard of, and I think they deserve a shot. So, you know, my apologies to, to Mr. Khan and Mr. <laughs> Kinsella, but I think they'll they'll they don't need my help. And uh, so, what was the? What are the most recent books up through last year that made up it? Up through, I guess it was 2012, through early 2012. 2012. So it was the Ari Dickey book. Uh, I think the Appel book. There might have been one more, but it doesn't jump at me offhand. I'm sorry. Uh, conversely, there there are books in there from the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, a couple of my favorite 
are actually there's one in there from the late 19th century. Uh, a ball player, John Montgomery Ward, right. wrote a book called The Ball Player, and he was he played in the late 19th century. He was the polar opposite of what people thought a ball player was in those days. He was a lawyer. He worked very hard in, in trying to develop players' rights, a league for players, a cooperative for players. Uh, so he wrote about that. There is a, a, ball, a, a book, kind of an instructional, which is also pretty thin because I, I really don't think you can get much out of a book about how to do stuff. You have to do stuff. But this was written by two college professors in 1917 about strategy. Uh, there were diagrams uh, on the field. You know, the, the, the anecdote goes, if you could take somebody from that time and put them down in a ballpark today, and he'll recognize the game, because basically all the rules are the same. But it's just really interesting to see the language that they use. The language is so above what's being used today. It's so eloquent. <laughs> uh, Pitching in a Pinch, written by Christy Mathewson, right. supposedly written by Christy Mathewson, because what they did in those days was they had a ghostwriter who did not get credit. Uh, I, I pretty much guarantee that Babe Ruth didn't write any of the books that carried his <laughs> byline. Uh, but but he, they did write with other who, who touched up, and Mathewson was also a, a, a very intelligent player whose interests lay beyond, beyond the diamond. It's actually the hundredth anniversary of that book, and they're they're coming out with a book, a special edition. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if any of these other books that you included get a second life. Uh, so uh, <laughs> because they were included you know, uh -huh. from a publisher, could be. Could Hopefully, be. well, one of the thing, one of the things I'm hoping to do is is market this toward uh, colleges and universities. Uh, John Sexton, uh, president of NYU, teaches a course in baseball. Uh, he, he has a book out, which unfortunately did not. It just came out this year, so it didn't make the book. I don't know if it would have, but uh, just an interesting topic of, of baseball and religion. Right. Uh, so more and more uh, universities are including baseball in some way in their curriculum, whether it's uh, novels as American literature or history or whatever. Cooperstown holds an annual symposium where academics come from all over the country uh, to talk about academic stuff in baseball. And it, it's amazing how you can connect anything with baseball. Absolutely. Well, let's turn for a moment to the crowd if anybody has a, any questions for Ron. I have a question about publishing. Your book is actually affordable. You can get a book for like half the pages you look at for $40. How does that work? I, I don't know how... I, I totally agree, and I think that's one of the reasons I didn't want to go with McFarlane. Uh, McFarlane gives opportunities to a great many writers who wouldn't have that opportunity otherwise. Uh, so they get all kinds of kudos for that. The, the topics that they write about would never be published anywhere else. That being said, and again, with all do loyalty to them all do reverence to them uh, a lot of their stuff is the same like you will have a biography of a, a ball player from the 1920s that is a 
a fringe Hall of Fame. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame, but you know, he's one of these guys who, whenever they have an argument, they say, "Well, why is this guy in the Hall of Fame?" And, and topics of that again, it, it might be about a minor league team or one specific year. I don't know how they set the prices, but I, I agree with you. you know, their standard paperback nowadays, I think, is thirty bucks or thirty-five bucks, and they're all the same. They all look the same. And when I had discussions with them years ago about a different book and, and they told me what the author's responsibility would be and I, I just thought that well you're a publisher you should be helping out the author a little bit more with stuff like that so uh, I, I wish I I wish I knew more so so uh, Dave brought up you know there are many books about uh, the ballparks in general um, and that's Actually, you know, I was looking for a book that was kind of about all 30 stadiums, kind of the history of them and also mm-hmm. their place in their communities. And I couldn't really find, uh, I couldn't find one of those. Is, is, there, is there anything you could recommend that would maybe, uh, well, to me, at the end of the day, I decided that it didn't exist. I was going to write it myself. And I'm doing the 30 stadium tour my, the, in a couple weeks. I'm starting on a tour of all 30 stadiums. And I'm gonna try and interview someone from the stadium to try to get those uh-huh. stories and write it myself. But if there's something that already exists that I can kind of work off of, that would be awesome. Yeah. Uh and good luck with that because one of the things I, I found <laughs> no no when I say good luck with that because you say you want to talk to people at the ballpark I, exactly it, it it's not that they're they're not people at the ballpark like in the public relations department or the media relations department but what I find in a great many teams do not have a team historian that's what I want to talk to so basically my my initial goal was to try to talk to someone who's been there for 15, 20 years, been working a ground screw guy, a vendor, someone that has actually worked inside that stadium for a long period of time that was my initial goal, but I'm beginning to realize a lot of them just don't, a lot of stadiums just don't have that, unfortunately I'm I'm still working hard to try and get it as many as possible but it just, it doesn't exist I mean, except, they've got the tour guide they know the very Land yeah. open this. They know the script. Yeah, they, they know the script find on the internet. Right. I'm like, yeah. the real yeah. stories. Like, this is the seat that Johnny Dorr hit <laughs> in that wall in 1934, 60 years before I was born. So I'm just. <laughs> oh, I went to Yankee Stadium just, just on the large. I took the tour here to see what they actually did. Yeah. I'm not a Yankee fan. I ended up knowing more about the stadium than this, this poor tour guy did. Right. This is not. No, that, that's a job for them. It's not a love like it is for you. Exactly. So, I, I mean, I, I love to, like I said, I'm in the process of putting it together myself, but if there's something that already exists... That, that Doesn't I'm mean you, you can't do a better job of it. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. Maybe something that can help me out there. Yeah, uh, there's a book in here. It's Ballparks Yesterday and Today. Uh, the coffee table books are pretty good about that. They sure. won't give you a whole lot of history, Yeah. but they will give you, like... There, there are some books, and again, a lot of these books were the same, so I didn't include them. Yeah. But there are books that have... Uh, and McFarlane probably has a book like this. It's probably a $75 book <laughs> because it's, it'll be hardcover and thick. Uh, or I, I was going to... Uh, something like that might come from a university press, not, not these guys, but because they are given to this type of book more than a, a pop like a Doubleday or a, a Brown... Uh, there's one here it's called Blue Skies Greenfield a celebration of 50 major league ballparks that was uh, done in 2001 
there, there, there's a book that was published by the Sporting News. Uh, I'm going to say like 30, 40 years ago. It was one of these cartoonist guys who you used to see their stuff in the newspaper. Right. So it's like drawn in caricature. So each page has a different ballpark. It's it's a long book. It's like that. And so it's not a standard trim. Uh, and it's really, it's a fun book. Fun book to find. Bill Gallo? No, no. This is uh, no Gallo is very recognizable, and no, this is this is not written by a New Yorker. Boy, that is a thin chapter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it uh, sounds like well, you, guys, you should write a book. And yeah, that'll be a final. And that was really sad. I was looking forward to seeing what was in there because last summer I literally spent about three months researching, trying to find something about what anything about the ballparks. I right. Just couldn't find it. And you, you did an Amazon search. I did. Am- I went to Australia. I did an Amazon. You search. don't go to Australia. No. Well, I did an Amazon search. I did. Uh, I contacted a friend of mine who's a big literature nut. He kind of he's my encyclopedia of all things yeah. books. He was like, I honestly, I, picture books is what I found. I right. found a lot of good picture books, yeah. but nothing really that I talked about. Are you a member of Saber? Uh, no, I, I need to. You need to do that. Yeah. Uh, there is a committee that's just about ballparks, okay, and they will tell you what kind of gravel was used to make the bricks that, that went into the building yeah. of yeah. parks that have been gone for 60 years. Yeah, so that's definitely. That's there is nothing that they do not know. <laughs> and he, he, you, you probably can even without joining Save, you can probably go on the website and find material. Yeah. Sure, leads for for stuff like well, that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it anyway. We're starting to do it in a couple weeks. So, there you go. So we'll, we'll see what Are you going to keep uh, notes in a diary also? Yeah. So basically, I'm going to have a website that's going to be. Uh, I'll have photos in it. I'll be uh, also blogging. You know, my experience at each one, and then I'm also going to do the podcast that will. You know, depending on how many people I can get to talk to, obviously I'll have the audio file on the internet, uh, on the on the internet, and then just kind of talk about my experiences doing the tour. It's ninety-five days, fifteen thousand miles, wow. all thirty stadiums in one season. Uh-huh. So. There are a couple of books that have been done within, I would say, the last five years about that kind of thing, but not so much the ballpark, but just the experience of. Yes. Yeah, that I don't have any interest in. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. book's been written. I think I have, and I'm blanking, of course, on the name of it. About you know, how much money they spend, all the free yeah, stuff they got. Like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not talking about yeah, but I really want to talk to people and get, and I also want to talk to fans. I want to talk to people that have been there 40, 50 years, and the real true story of the guys that go to the ballpark every single day, and, and that's the story that I want to share. So, so that means I, you, I couldn't find that book anymore. That means you go to the cheap seats. Oh, you know, I, yeah, I mean, relatively yeah, speaking. Nowadays, right? yeah. The $15 seat. Yes, right? yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> Where are those? <laughs> not, <laughs> all the way in the back. Not in New York. All yeah. The, yeah, not in New York. Behind yeah. the curtain. For those of you, by the way, listening to the podcast, uh, we will keep you updated and we'll, we'll have links to this podcast we've been ta- speaking about. And actually, and I did interview Jay a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to be uploading. That's going to be one of my first ones I'm going to be uploading. It was a wonderful interview. Jay was great. So uh, the website, I'll just say, because I'll plug it. The website is <laughs> roundingthird.co, roundingthird.co. So, yeah, right. I mean, it'll start updating in a couple weeks. May 28th is when the uh, tour officially starts. Roundingthird.co, the... M is left off for Mets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fine. Very appropriate. Uh, Sorry, uh, hijacked. <laughs> I hijacked. I apologize. Sorry. No, no, no. We don't have any sponsors. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, any other? Yes. What two or three books just missed the cut? 502, 503. Just missed the cut. They would be the ones that I took out to put in the new ones. Uh 
but you know, I'm getting to that age where I, I'll be lucky if I find my way back home. <laughs> so I, I don't know the names of them offhand. Uh, th- there are a couple of close ones. Uh, I mean, I would certainly put in for all the agit I'm getting. I would put in the Boys of Summer. I would put in uh, Shoeless Joe. Uh, I would put in maybe a, a little more fiction and take out a little more history. Uh, there, there's one book. Has anyone here ever heard of The Tower of Baseball? Thank you. You have. Okay. There's one. You have. All right. That is my favorite book. That's your all-time favorite? That's my all-time favorite. The Tao, T-A-O of baseball. It was published in either 1992 or 1995 by... The author's name is G-O. It's a pseudonym. He's a a Canadian uh, writer. I don't even know if he's still around. Uh, It it, it puts baseball into... It's the zen of baseball. It's... uh, the yin and the yang of baseball. For every act, it's a, I guess Newton's law. For every action, you have a reaction. So for the pitch, you have the batter. For the offense, you have the defense. For the ball, you have the strike. For the infield, you have the outfield. It just goes on and on like that, much more eloquently than I'm describing it. But if you can find it, I highly recommend it. If you like backstories and, and stuff that will make you think, I mean, anybody can read a biography about, just just to throw out a name, Lenny Dykstra. When he was with the Mets in 86, and they won in maybe 86, a bunch of Mets came out with books. It's kind of like in, in 2004 when the Red Sox won the World Series, a bunch of those guys came out with books. Why? No, you know, if, if Lenny Dykstra wasn't in trouble right now, you wouldn't hear about him anymore. But he was the flavor of the month. So books like that... I love Simon Cadence's books. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I, you, you read it, it's like, it's like watching a half hour of television that you, know, you forget it's enjoyable at the moment, then you never think about it again. But, but there are a, a handful of books that will make you think. Whether that's a good thing or not is up to you to decide. And I, I just think, I think that that's one of them. Are there any other hidden gems that come to mind? The, there was a book... Written, it was an economic study <coughs> about baseball in the 1950s, and and one of the things that that hit me was he writes about how contracts were written, and in those days there there were prohibitions from doing certain activities. If you got hurt in a mining accident, you you lost your contract. If you got hurt in some sort of industrial, people had to have second off-season jobs in those days. Nowadays, Jeff Kent got into a lot of trouble a few years ago because he was hurt riding a motorcycle and he lied about it. And you know, now nowadays, there's no skydiving, no. no climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. No, well, yeah, and, and try try to stop him from that. Yeah. When I was in college, I went to Brooklyn College, I was the manager of the baseball team, and during the off-season, Lee Mazzilli lived in Brooklyn, and he would work out with the team in the off, in the off, in before spring training. 
And after spring, tr- after practice was done and all the stuff was put away, we usually hang out in the gym, play a little basketball. So I was on one team, he was on another. Uh, I came down on his foot, coming down from a rebound. And that could have been the end of his career. And I would have been responsible. <laughs> so he has a lot to thank me for. So. <laughs> Any other? Uh, yes, Steve. A comment. You, you use the term leisurely watching the ball game. That's a great word for it. I think it's true. Recently, I had the opportunity to go up to Fenway Park, watch a ball game. Uh, in contrast to going to the Indiana Knicks game the other night, they overstimulate you yes. at the garden. Boom, boom, boom. Dancers, ponies, dogs. And you go to a ballpark and you have an intermission every three outs and you, you concentrate more on the game. It's more pastoral uh, feeling. So I think this is part of the uh, attraction. Now, forgive me if I'm, uh, I'm assuming, but you look like you've been going to ball games for a long time. <laughs> do you do you notice a difference from when you were much younger? You talk about overstimulation. You go to the ballpark now; they still have that loud music in between every inning. And it's not the same as an enclosed stadium, but but and well, they don't have uh, Gladys Quinn playing the organ anymore. No, but. Uh, it depends what ballpark you go to, of course. Uh, the park is very sedate. Uh, I think you go to minor league games, they're always blasting something at you, and there's sumo wrestlers between you. <laughs> 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 they do everything they can yeah. to make it entertaining. Right. A major league ball game is entertainment or not. You think it's a scene, you don't know what's going to happen. It's like a drama that's unfolding. So I think this is part of the attraction of what you write about. I, I think to, to just disagree with you a little bit nowadays when when people are bringing young families to the ballpark there is that need to offer other things for the kids to do uh, how, how many ballparks now have swimming pools yeah. in the outfield too many uh, bef- before you had the guy come around with the peanuts and the hot dogs or you go now they got 23 restaurants right. and uh, I want one thing I, I just discovered the other day uh, I, I forget what what uh, company put it out, what organization put it out, but it's a guide. I'm a vegetarian. And there's a guide up to vegetarian food at every ballpark. Every ballpark now offers vegetarian food, right. which, which, which is great. And, and they even will tell you that uh, like th- this aspect of it is vegetarian, but like, like or, or kosher. Like th- this stuff is the... the Veggie dog is kosher, but the bun isn't. I mean, just strictly speaking, just strictly speaking. Yeah. You know, it might not have any non-kosher ingredients in it, but because it's not given the right. the designation of kosher, it, it's not considered kosher. But uh, yeah, I, I I totally agree in that. You you have time to talk at a ballpark. There is that break, even between pitches. There's time to talk. There's time to to share a story or. Or point something out in, in the yearbook or the program, uh, which, which a program that's well done is is a historical document in itself because it will open up the door to conversation and, and allow you. To, wow, here's something I never knew, and, and and teach you something. Every 
pretty much every program teaches you how to score a game, which, which is, I think, a lost art because I mean, people just don't have. Now they have an app for that. One of the sports has more and more it's surprising because I think other sports are trying to catch up basketball has scorekeeping they, they have scorecards books where you write down you really got to keep up with it because things are going even more so than hockey hockey it's easy to, to keep track because basically you got your assists and your goals and that's it but but now I, I have a blog about Jews and sports for the newspaper for which I write I, I was following the, the NHL playoffs, and they have box scores for the NHL playoffs, where they keep track of. Before it used to be you know, shots on goal, goals, assists, penalty. Now they have checks, uh, missed shots, you know, all the all this other stuff. Because I think they want the other sports want to get to baseball. They they want to have that number thing that, that baseballs enjoyed so long. Right. Started applying to other places, and I think then I don't know this, I haven't done any research on it, but 
Statistics to right, absolutely. That's that's what they're saying about football now. Is that that you know you don't care who wins or loses as long as your guy in your fantasy football team does well. Right. I, I every year I buy one pack of baseball cards just just to see the design. This year I noticed, and I, I don't remember last year on the back of the card for pitchers they have whip now, walks right. and hits per innings pitched, and I think uh, OPS for batters. So they're trying to incorporate this new sabermetric statistic in, into to, to make it relevant for today's consumer. So the second question I want to ask you related to this is, uh, it's like three, three, again, fantasy movie books, I saw one, going quickly. Um, uh, two other questions. Do you have any baseball card-related books and something else you just said maybe think of another category? Oh, Jake, any of those that last one? Bill James books? Yeah, there, there are a few Bill James books in there. Uh, two or three, maybe four. Uh, even though I'm really not a numbers guy, I think Bill James transcends numbers. Uh, uh, I don't know. I haven't interviewed him. I, I know he's a go-to guy when people want to talk about that. But I don't know if that was his intention when, when he first came out with this stuff. I think he just wanted another way to look at the game. And if you read his early stuff, it's not just about numbers. He's got some really witty anecdotes. He's got some analysis that, that's it's really amusing and, and spot on. Uh, I have one book about fantasy baseball, Fantasyland by Sam Walker, which is about the, the, the uber uh, fantasy baseball players. But there's also a book about fantasy camp. That's a different kind of fantasy baseball. <laughs> And, and, and what these middle-aged, out-of-shape <laughs> guys go, you know, they, they want to recapture their youth. They want to pal around with, with uh, the heroes. With Mazzillion, <laughs> I'm sure that's what he's, part of what he's doing nowadays. Uh, uh, as far as baseball cards, yeah, there are a few baseball card books in there. There's uh, Cardboard Gods by Josh Wilker, which is a, a personal... It's a, it's a memoir about basically how growing up in, in New England and how he didn't really have any friends and baseball cards kind of saved his life in a way because he related to them. There's a book called Mint Condition, which is more of a, a, an overlook of the industry. Th- that's one book. If I if I someone asked me what I would put back in, there there's the name is Casey. It's a long name, but it's about baseball cards, and it's a, a picture book. Of, of cards from the 50s and 60s of relative nobodies but the, the cards are in there because if, if anyone remembers the Topps cards from the late 60s on, the photography was terrible uh, they, they basically took two shots of everybody one was without a hat so in case this person got traded during the year they didn't have to go take his picture again or, or the hat was like pushed up so you just saw the underside of the hat uh, the, the, the poses were ridiculous. They're like, uh, so there, there's a book of that in there, and I really wish they would do that again. Uh, the the baseball flipping trading card book is written by two guys, and it's, it's just uh, it's a paperback, and and I, I wish it were out again. I would include that book if I were, if I were doing this again. Um, when I was about sixth grade. I, uh, I had written papers on so many baseball books, teachers got together and asked me to stop. 
my, my parents. I'm sorry, these are book reports? Book reports. Okay. Yeah, sure. We had sixth grade of Anyway. Um, so I, one, one of the ones where they said, okay, that was it. I remember being one of the final ones until I took like a year hiatus was Ricky Henderson's off-base professors. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's only so many ball players that write books when they're in the middle of their 25-year career. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't even know if that was before or after he broke with Rock's record. I think yeah. it was before. Um, it, it, it was a little paperback. Which I can't wait to. Did it no. make the cut? No. I tended not to do player books. Uh, and then not that I have... Uh, and, and, and books published like that, that was a, a paperback. Yeah. And not that I'm opposed to paperbacks, but books like that are... I mean, I got a whole shelf of, of stuff like that. The, the, a book by Dave Steeb. When he was pitching with the Toronto Blue Jays, tomorrow I think he came out with more than one. But it was like it was at the time where he had come out with a couple of near perfect games that he or near no hitters that he lost in the ninth inning. And the title of one of his books was "Tomorrow Maybe I'll Be Perfect," or something like that. It was a, a book by Whitey Herzog, written in the, in the, in the mid '80s. Like books like that, I tend to stay away from. Uh, uh, just like Nails isn't in that. You know, flavor of the month type things. Right, right. I, in retrospect, look, Henderson's a Hall of Famer now. Right. But in those days, he was just uh, a hot shot, hot dog. To, to sixth graders, because he's catch with one hand and do exactly what they told you not See, to do. See, this is a perfect example of the type of... I want people to read about baseball. And and if, if you're a kid, I want you to read. Books, <laughs> not 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 just stuff off a of Kindle, not not just you know stuff off an iPod, not not just listening to it on uh, on a DVD, but but read, you know, hold the book in your hands, feel the paper, turn the pages and read. And and I'm, I'm sorry that your teachers did that to you because if that's what you're interested in, who's to tell you to stop reading it? Uh, I want. I got I got a baseball. Loving, you know, English teacher by the eighth grade. There you go. And he told me the rest of my, you know, middle school teachers were out of line. So, <laughs> I just saw him at my 15 year high school reunion. Uh-huh. I thank him. Uh, uh, real quick, uh, Catcher in the Rye. Did I make it the uh, uh, bottom three books? Catcher in the Rye, that's one of I, I have I, to I, check. I love that one. I, I, I love that one too. Oh, God, but so that might have been a toss up. I'll just check that real quick. That might have been a toss up between, between that and another humorous book by another catcher. Uh-huh. Yeah, there are a lot of books like that. No, the, 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 book? the Joe Garagiola. Oh, oh. There's also the catcher was a spy. But that, but that's not that's humorous. A, no, 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 yeah. Not, but Captain the Rye, I read that thing probably 15 times. I loved that book when I was a kid. Yeah, Captain the Rye. Well, that, that's when Yuka was. I think even before, unfortunately, at the no. Sorry, uh, sorry. Volume, volume two. Volume two. Volume two. But, but the question I really want to ask though was that so. Uh, have you noticed that you said the, the, the earliest books think were late 19th century that, that were in there, so the, the, the oldest books? Yeah. So have you seen kind of a difference in, the, in how people write about baseball from generation to generation? Oh, absolutely. Based on when it was pretty much the only game in town to now there's so many distracted baseballs now become, I mean, I think all of us here, we all still love it. It's, not, it's not even a question of distraction. It's a question of go, go back to the... World War II era. Mm-hmm. There was no television. Yeah. Go back 20 years before that, there was no radio, but there was writing. There was sports writing. Uh, I think you started noticing a big change after television came. Uh, not not way after television came, 
because there was television, but they weren't broadcasting games. If they broadcast games, it was a game of the week. Right. Uh, so you still needed writers to tell you what you couldn't see. Uh, once you could see it, I mean, that, that's a big knock on sports writing today. I don't need someone to tell me what I saw in the game yesterday. I saw it. So don't tell me that, that this play was made this way. Uh, there's a great difference in education. People were much more well-read in those days because, again, maybe this is part of the distraction thing. There were, there were no other distractions. You went to school. You did your chores. Uh, if you, you lived on a farm, you did your farm chores. Uh, you, you played ball if you were a boy. Uh, and you read. You did your reading. And you read about your heroes. Uh, books were basically written for younger readers up until relatively recently. Uh, that's one of the reasons that Ball 4 was such a shock. Because, not because it was written by a player, but because it was written by a player who pulled back the curtain and let you see the bad stuff that... Th- these aren't all heroes. These aren't all guys who overcame poverty or illness or, or, or an accident. Uh... These are people who, like Mickey Mantle, will close a bus window on a kid reaching in to have a piece of paper signed. You know, people will go up on the roof and look in the hotel windows to see what's going on. Uh, and say what you will, for better or worse, you know, it opened the door to a lot of crap writing, in my opinion, uh, about people who just want to one-up people about how heinous they could write. The, the exception, I think... And I've taken heat for this is Jose Canseco's first book because that opened the door to what was going on with steroids and and like uh, modern day Cassandra you may not like to hear the message but he did a service to the game I think uh, I think the books written afterwards were just like trying to line his pockets with more and more Bowden came out with a book the next year I'm glad you didn't take it personally right. which is basically the reactions he got after writing Ball Four, but but going back to like even in the early '60s, you, know, you would read book about Mickey Mantle, nothing but praise. And some of these guys deserve nothing but praise. Like, you know, Sandy Koufax had several books written about him. Jackie Robinson had several books written about him. They they deserve all all this praise. But yeah, there's definitely a, a change in climate and in, in the the style of writing and then the the. Mm-hmm spirit of writing, the ethics of writing. We're going to continue with the questions, but first we have to say farewell to our podcast audience. So for those of you listening, wherever you may be, the name of the book, 501 Baseball Books Fans Must Read Before They Die by Ron Kaplan, University of Nebraska Press. Pick it up wherever books are sold, anywhere. And uh, it's been a fascinating discussion. We're going to get to continue it now. For those of you at home, enjoy. Thank you, Ron.